about WAGP.net. This is the Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We welcome you this week, a very special week in the Christian calendar, and so glad that you can join us for the next hour as we open God's Word, and if you have a particular question or issue you'd like biblical counsel on, or a passage you've been struggling with, if we can help, we will do our best. All you need to do is pick up the phone, call us locally, 843-525-1859. When you call, you can go on the air anonymously, or if you're more comfortable, you can simply dictate your question. Or you can uh, shoot us an email here directly into the studio, and it will pop up on the screen in front of us. And the email address is TBL. That stands for the Bible line, TBL at WAGP.net. People often uh, go to our searchthescriptures.org website, and there is an icon there where you can say, ask Dr. Brogy a question and type it in, and Rick will bring those up for us on the Tuesday meetings as we gather So there's a lot of ways in which to contact us. Uh, Sometimes people leave a message at the Search the Scriptures question line during the week at 843-525-1859. So a lot of options for you. And so with that said, Rick, let's uh, go ahead and we'll get started this morning. Very good. A number of weeks ago, we had asked a question um, and we got uh, a further request to elaborate a little bit more Um, So would you please uh, explain what your vision is in the Spanish ministry? Well, that's a good question. Um, You know, Christ said to go, therefore, and make disciples of all peoples, all nations. And the word there is the word for nations, uh, Gentiles, meaning every people group. It's what we call the Great Commission. And that's a term we've used in church history for the last 450 years or so in deference to the limited commission that was given earlier in Matthew's gospel, where he said, don't go into the way of the Gentiles, just go to the house of Israel. Why? Because God wanted to underscore he's a promise keeping God. And, and he wanted them to see that, no, he kept the promises just as he made to Israel as a people. But because of their rejection of Jesus as Lord, he temporarily set aside the nation, though there are Jewish believers and have been throughout the ages, Uh, And the commission was then broadened to focus to all peoples. And so I think any community, any county, any city needs to ask what people groups are in our community, and we should try to reach those people groups. Now, I know in a lot of um, modern church growth models, uh, Rick Warren and others would say, well, you know, the church is like a radio station. You can't have classical and rock and Christian and country, and you have to choose a style. 
uh, if you're going to reach any audience. And if you try to do them all, you won't have anyone. Well, that may be true for a radio station, but it's not true for the church. Uh, Christ has told us and commissioned us to go and reach all peoples. And so we need to ask, are there Filipinos? Are there Hispanics? Are there uh, Indian people? Who lives in your community? And you need to do everything in your power to strategize and think, what can we do to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's a lot of Hispanic people here. And so we want to do everything we can to try to reach them. Uh, We have invitational cards that our people use every week to invite people to church. And some of them are in Spanish. Uh, On Sunday nights, we have a a bilingual church, so to speak. It's done in Spanish so that if someone doesn't know English, uh, but a lot of the people who come who are bilingual, they come on Sunday morning, but they also come on Sunday night. And some are bringing their Spanish friends and folks are finding Christ. We we have a, a pastor of care who was a missionary in South America for 18 years. And of course, he's fluent in Spanish and he's deeply committed to trying to reach the Hispanic people with the gospel. So it's very important to us and whatever we can do to facilitate, you know, people hearing the plan of salvation and finding Christ as their savior. That's what we're about with whoever it might be, whatever people group or language group that God might bring to our community. Uh, the, the, the challenge I think with um, a lot of uh, specialized groups is churches always need to remember they're one generational. Uh, so for instance, in new England where you had a huge influx through, you know, Ellis Island in the 1920s and thirties of people from quote unquote, the old country. And they came from Poland and Germany and Italy and Ireland and all these different places. If you go to new England, there's a lot of churches, you know, a Portuguese uh, Catholic church, a Italian Catholic church, a uh, Spanish Catholic church. And, uh, but they were one generational. And what happens is, is that the children will assimilate into the culture. They'll learn the language of the culture that they're in as they begin to attend the schools. And many times they, after a while, you know, at least on the second generation, the grandchildren, they often don't even speak the native tongue of the grandparents. Uh, with that said, you always has, always have to think one generation. I did a missions conference out on the West Coast about two years ago And there were people from 14 different Soviet countries that were there. And I was, you know, talking to the pastors and I said, you know, this is one generational. Yeah, we're we're beginning to realize that, that the kids are going to the American schools and, you know, some of them are bilingual and some of them are better in English than they are in their native tongue of their parents or whatever. And so it becomes critical if you're going to, if they as a church are going to do what God has called them to do, because God has called them to reach all nations. So if he's called them to live in America, then they need to reach English speaking people as well. So the strategy works both ways, but no, a bottom line, we're deeply committed to reaching any people group. And that certainly includes Hispanic people. And so if you are Hispanic and you're looking for a church home, we would love to have you here at Community Bible Church. You might want to come this Sunday night. Uh, We have a meeting every Sunday at 530 for our Hispanic people, and we would love to have you as a part of that meeting. All right, let's go to our next question. Our next question comes from Joseph in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Well, actually, we finally got our first dictated question. Just came in. We always give preference to those callers. 
And um, in Deuteronomy, Moses was told he would never see the promised land. Does this mean he's not in heaven, or was he being told he would not see the promised land on earth? Yeah, it was um, the, the the idea of calling heaven the promised land came out of hymnology in the 19th century. It's really not a uh, biblical concept, but in some of the hymns that were written in the 19th century and some in the early 20th, early part of the 20th century, you know, they talked about crossing the Jordan and going to the other side. And they use that imagery to say, you know, the believer has gone on to be with the Lord in heaven. But the terms are never used that way in the word of God. And so Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Mount Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev, and the plain of the valley of the Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And of course, God had already dictated through Moses how the land would be divided. And so he goes to the top of this mountain and he can see it all. Yeah, that's where Ephraim's going to be. And that's where Dan is going to be. And, and then the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, just as God had told him earlier, you can read of it in Numbers chapter 12, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. Um, And of course, that's significant because um, God's people are always buried in scripture. Uh, They're never cremated. They're always buried. And so if you're thinking about your funeral, uh, don't think, well, I'll save $500 if I get them to burn my body. That that was a pagan practice. Uh, Christians shouldn't do that. It was unthinkable for them to do that. But it's become so commonplace now as many Christians are cremated as they are buried. But God's way is to bury your loved one because you are affirming that when that person is set in the ground, it's like setting a seed in the ground, that you believe in the resurrection and the life, not to mention your funeral will lose a lot of punch with nobody there, where there's just an urn, if there's even an urn, or if there's just a picture, uh, it loses a whole lot of punch. The reality of death shouts, and for many people listening to me, you have family members who will show up at your funeral, but would not come to an invitation to visit with you in church on Sunday morning. And that might be your last opportunity to win them to Christ. With that aside, Moses did not physically go into the promised land. God forbade him to do that because of the action that he took. And you can again read about that back in the book of Numbers. So is he in heaven? Yes. In fact, uh, we find him up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah the prophet. So Jesus gives them a glimpse of the kingdom of God that is yet to come. Uh, Jesus said uh, very plainly at the end of, let me just turn there very fast. Um, at the end of um, Matthew chapter 16, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And of course, Luke records that happened about eight days later. And of course, uh, in 
uh, we, we read here that he took him, Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, and of course, his response is actually a really good response because he thinks, well, this is the kingdom. And one of the things in the coming kingdom uh, that is pictured in the uh, tabernacles, one of the feasts of the Old Testament, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, as it's called, is a picture of the coming of Messiah. And anyway, uh, Moses is very much alive. He's with the Lord and um, he suffered physical death at the age of 120, but not spiritual death. He was a true, genuine believer. One of the most humble men who ever walked on the planet, God said of him. All right, let's go to the next question. Okay, going back to that question from Rhode Island. Uh, for the past few years, Joseph writes, I've tried finding a church in New England with a faithful pastor committed to solid doctrinal teaching. Our search has been discouraging. The most recent church I attended, I found believed in a distorted understanding of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, such uh, that uh, to the extent that uh, I believe what was being done was grieving the Spirit rather than honoring Him. New and young believers were being led into a false understanding that could very well be harmful to their spiritual life if they don't study for themselves to find the truth. What is a guy to do, Pastor? Do I continue to sit in a church that teaches topical milk messages that don't grow the sheep? Do I continue to attend and give to a church whose beliefs and practices don't line up as revealed in Scripture because God wants me in community? I've made the effort for the past three years to find what you describe as a healthy biblical church, but the best I can find is emotionalism, religious traditionalism, and false teaching. Well, I know that can be frustrating, and we get emails like this just all the time. And it's a very sad picture of where the American church is at. Certainly, I would eliminate a church right off if there was utter heresy. You know, if there's uh, false teaching, uh, we were just speaking in staff meeting this morning about cooperative Baptists and their most recent newsletter, where they uh, had a youth group practicing centering prayer, which is an evil. Uh, it's not found or rooted in scripture. It's rooted in anything in Eastern meditation and breathing prayer and, uh, some other weird things. Uh, also that group recently has one of their major churches in Greenville, South Carolina, now receiving homosexual couples into their membership in good standing. So that they're obviously do not have an orthodox view of the Bible as the final authoritative word. So you don't even consider a church like that. You leave churches like that. You don't even think about going to a cooperative Baptist church. There might be other denominations that you know are just so far to the left. They are denying the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. You don't even entertain that. That's not even an issue. Um, certainly when you see a church where there's a lot of emotional excesses and maybe you're trying to raise your children and you don't want there to be a confusing message. And typically these churches too, that uh, teach, you know, certain excesses of the spirit as normative for today. They also uh, espouse that you can lose your salvation and other really just off doctrinal issues. But you mentioned here some churches that, are orthodox, but maybe you just don't feel like you're being fed at them. Well, then that might be where you would start. 
maybe that would be, I, I remember my wife and I going to a Baptist church in Durham, North Carolina, and the teaching was really not very good. Uh, it didn't seem like the pastor even prepared very much. And make a long story short, he was still orthodox and he had the plan of salvation and he had the gospel. Now, if we're dependent on him for our own spiritual feeding, then we would have really had some huge deficits in our life. But we went ahead and did what we could to sustain our own selves spiritually. And now, you know, there's opportunity everywhere for Christians. There's great, uh, you know, websites. Um, we have hundreds and hundreds of people who go to searchthescriptures.org and maybe their pastor does not preach expositionally, but I do. And they'll listen to a whole book of the Bible. Uh, I have one brother who right now is listening to the book of James and he in turn is teaching it to his Sunday school class at the church that he attends in Georgia. So there's tools out there for you, a multiplicity of them where you can feed your own soul. But if your pastor has the gospel, then you go and support that pastor and you pray for him. You can't um, disobey the command of scripture where God says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we blow off the Lord's day and say, well, I'm not going to go because there's not a good church or then you're disobeying God and God has called you to be involved in the fellowship of the saints. And sometimes you are a major factor in that church. Maybe you're an encouragement to that pastor and maybe he is training was substandard, substandard, but you can, you know, as a friend, you know, point him to good resources and it might challenge him and encourage him to go further with his own people. Not to mention the impact that you might have in helping other people and teaching a Sunday school class of youth or, uh, or children or adults, whatever situation you might find yourself in. So find the best church you can. If, if there is absolutely zero churches in a town where they all deny the plan of salvation, then assume that God is calling you to either travel to another community or maybe to help plant a church in that community with other faithful Christians. So that's another option. All right, let's go to our caller who's been waiting patiently. All right, very good. Uh, thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Hi, yes. Um, I'm calling from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just had a question about, um, forgive me, I can never get to the point. Um so my husband and I are here in Charlotte, and we have five children, and he's supporting us all. Praise the Lord. Mm. And um, his family all lives up north, and um, they are all Catholic, and I don't think um, they are born again. But um, the issue I'm calling about, I don't know how to handle, is he has a brother who is 38 and still lives at home, and um, he basically is... For lack of a better term, I, I don't know, kind of a loser. He drinks and he does work, but, you know, he doesn't help out at home, doesn't pay rent, doesn't pay bills, never been on his own. And for the past three years, he's been dating a woman who has a child. Um, he started dating her when she was like two or three, and now obviously she's um, six. And, um, you know, he spends the night at their house this with this little girl, at the girlfriend's house. He shares a bed with the mother and the little girl. Um, one time the girlfriend was telling the story about how 
the girlfriend slept in another bed while he shared the bed with her little girl. And she thought that was so funny. So, and they both drink, um, you know, I would say heavily. I mean, they're not fall down drunk, but if you drink from one o'clock in the afternoon until eight o'clock at night, you're drunk. Everyone up there has embraced the situation. We don't see them much, but we try to get up there about once a year and they don't ever really come here. But I just don't really trust him alone with my children if we go up there. And also, what if for some reason they want to come and visit here, you know, him, his girlfriend, the daughter? I don't think they will, but I'm just worried they will. And now when they send gifts, if he sends a gift, he signs it from him, the girlfriend, the daughter. And it just, I don't know. I'm just having a hard time with it. And I don't know how to handle the situation. Well, it's a great question. There's a lot of issues that are underlying. It's kind of sad that the parents are underwriting his lifestyle because one of the, these days they're going to be gone and someone's going to have to pay the rent and put food on the table. And right now he has a lot of freedom to spend that money on alcohol or to live an illicit relationship rather than to be a responsible person. But, you know, your in-laws or your parents or your husband's parents are, you know, are lost. And, and that's, that's the sad thing. And that's what lost people do. And by, by the grace of God, there go I except that God intervened in my life and he's intervened in your life. And so you have the mind of Christ. So you think differently, but a natural man does not understand the things of the spirit of God. Their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised or judged. So, you know, these parents of this 38 year old obviously love them, uh, but their love doesn't have very sound biblical boundaries. And so they love him in a less than wholesome way by allowing his lifestyle to continue, but they're lost. It's the blind leading the blind. Um, The bigger issues is what can you do for this 38 year old man? And again, if God gives you opportunity to share the plan of salvation, uh, that is great. Um, Sometimes uh, one of the tools that a lot of people have used, you know, on Thursday nights and sometimes on Sunday nights, I have a meeting called meet the pastor where people can come and I do a presentation of the plan of salvation in most every week, someone becomes a Christian and I'm so thankful that God brings lost people to our church, largely through the invitations of our members as they're in and around town and they meet friends at work or in the neighborhood or at the gym or in the grocery store or wherever it might be. And so people come and we have an Avenue where they can hear about the plan of salvation. That presentation that I do on Thursday slash Sunday nights is also available online at searchthescriptures.org and it's entitled, would you like to have God as your friend? And we will mail it to anyone for free who would also like a copy of a solid DVD copy. We also have it on CD. Uh, There's a man in new England that I think of that his sister gave it to him and she took my suggestion and and said, why don't you listen to this and just give me your opinion? And so, you know, sometimes when you ask people for their opinion, you disarm them. Uh, if you come to them, hey, look, I know you're lost and, you know, you're you're headed to hell. You need to hear that. Well, obviously, you're going to shut them down. So, you know, the Bible says we're to make a defense for the hope that's within us, yet with gentleness and reverence. And so I often tell people, why don't you listen to this and Give me your opinion on it. And people will often be willing to do that. And of course, if you uh, give it to him, 
he might listen to it. Well, this one particular lady gave the CD version to her brother up there in New England. I got a wonderful letter from him. And he said, you know, I listened to that thing going to work. I'm a committed Roman Catholic. And I would argue and I'd shout at you uh, through in, in my car, but I would just keep listening to it and listening to it and trying to figure out how I could ar- argue you in the pre- presentation you were making. But every time I went back to the Bible, which I had never read before, I, I couldn't argue against it. And I just am writing you to let you know that I've become a believer in Jesus Christ. And a lot of people have that testimony by God's grace because God uses his word. So the biggest thing is, is to win him to Christ, because that's the only thing that's going to change him. Right now, he finds uh, uh, solace in life and meaning in life through the neck of a bottle. And that's really very, very sad. Uh, would I trust him with my children? Not on your life. So you're very wise. Um, never let him ever be alone with your children. What if he shows up and he wants to come visit us at our house with his living girlfriend? You just say, well, you know, in our home, because we are Christians, you know, we have, you know, certain standards and it would violate our conscience. And that's the way you present it. It would violate our conscience. You're not pointing the finger at them. You're pointing the finger at yourself. It would violate our conscience for you guys to sleep in the same bedroom. And so I don't know what your housing arrangement is like, but maybe there could be separate bedrooms or another alternative is that, you know, somebody stays in a hotel. Now, if they want to both go to a hotel, that's their business. But are you going to underwrite and sanction adultery in your home? Absolutely not. So that's not even an option. And yeah, it's very sad that this mother who's wound up on alcohol is letting this little girl Uh, get in the same bed with this drunk man, no telling what he's doing to that precious little girl. No telling what he's doing. People, the Bible says in the book of Habakkuk, will do things in the sensual realm when they are drunk that an otherwise virtuous person would not do. Evil men have always known if they want to seduce a woman, start giving her alcohol. And she will do things that she would not otherwise do. And a man will do things even to a little girl that he might not otherwise do, but he will do because he's under the influence of alcohol. So it's a very sad situation, but where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So God cares about this 38-year-old man, loves him, Christ died for him, wants him to be saved. He doesn't want him to spend an eternity in hell. And right now he's on the broad road that leads to destruction because he has a lifestyle that denies born again, Christianity, that he's had a second birth, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. So, um, you know, be compassionate, pray. Maybe God would lead you as a couple on occasion to pray and fast, to miss a meal and to say to your husband, let's, why don't we skip lunch today? And I'm going to be here at home with the kids and I know you'll be at the office and let's pray and fast for so-and-so today. And there's much that is accomplished through prayer and fasting and for God's sovereign intervention in the heart of a person. Because no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. So many times it's a believer standing in the gap because Satan, the God of this world, has blinded their eyes, Paul says. Uh, So they don't see the truth. They don't comprehend it. And only God can open their eyes. And many times he does that through prayer and fasting. All right, very good. 843-525-1859.
Uh, toll free, 877-924-7980. And uh, we have a, another, do we have another listener? Uh, let me see if they're still there. Hang tight. One moment, please. Uh, good morning. You're on the Bible line. Nope, we dropped them. I, I think I'd let the uh, other person go and accidentally left. They can call the back person. if they like. Let's go to the next, dicta- next dictated question. All right, very good. Uh, our next listener would like to know how to win over family members who are in cults. The Christian members of the family know this is a salvation issue, and they believe time is short. The cult is not a major organized one, but rather it is based on the teaching of one so-called prophet. What would they do to open the eyes of their family members? Well, again, you always start with prayer because uh, you're right. God has to open their eyes, and only God can do that. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. So God is a sovereign God, and yet he responds to the prayer of his people. God is a sovereign God, and men must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, but they can't call upon him in whom they have not heard. So the critical event is both prayer and at some point a presentation of the true plan of salvation. So if I were in your situation, I'd want to first find out, well, what do I know about this cult? And usually every cult has some uh, commonality to it. Uh, There's usually a denial of one of four or five major doctrines, the doctrine of the Trinity or the deity of Christ or the virgin birth or the... Bible being the sole and absolute infallible authority. You know, there's some other authority, some prophet, some woman, some man who's had a vision or they've written some book or they've had a word of prophecy directly from God that's in contradistinction to the word of God. There's always some extra revelation, dream, vision, book, writing, whatever it might be uh, that is put above the Bible as more authoritative than the Bible. Uh, So you want to find out, well, where is the error? And sometimes you can start there. I was um, sharing the gospel with some Mormons one day. And rather than starting, say, with the deity of Jesus Christ, which they deny. And of course, it's like, you know, JWs, Mormons, they, they use the same terminology and they're so slick. But that's the way the devil comes. He comes as an angel of light. He disguises himself. He looks like one of God's men, but he's not. Uh, the Bible says if the devil disguises himself, so don't his servants in Second Corinthians or excuse. Yeah. In Second Corinthians 12. So in, as well as Second Corinthians 11, where Paul discriminates between true prophets and, and false prophets. So you want to find out, well, where is their error? And so like with these Mormons, I started showing them one of the central tenets of Mormonism is they deny justification by grace alone through faith alone. And of course, they're trying to convince you they believe the same thing you believe. So they say Jesus is the son of God, but they don't mean what we mean when we say the son of God. They mean he's the son of God, like we're all sons and daughters of God, but not that he is God the son. When a Jehovah's Witness shows up at your door and they're trying to convince you that they believe the same thing you believe, you can simply ask them, well, do you worship Jesus Christ? And if they're honest, they will say, well, no, I, I, I do not worship Jesus. Well, if you don't worship Jesus, then you don't believe the same thing I believe about Jesus because Jesus received worship and all of heaven, according to the book of Revelation, is worshiping him. You shall worship the Lord thy God in him only. But with these two particular Mormons, I tried to get them to think, uh, what does the Bible actually say about justification by grace alone through faith alone? 
and I began to show them passages that were was really in deference to what they thought the New Testament teaches. You see, the thing about Mormons or most folks in most cults is they don't really even know what the Bible says. They know what their cult says. They know what some particular book or literature that was written by a cult leader, what he has said, but they don't know what the Bible says. So I said to these Mormons, well, what do you think about Hezekiah chapter three? Oh, I'm not sure. Well, why don't you turn there? And they're flipping through the Bible. I said, well, look, don't let me waste your time. I said, there is no book of Hezekiah. And so you've thrown out a a Bible that you don't even know what's in it. And I said, the Book of Mormon and the Bible cannot both be true. One is true and the other is false. And the Book of Mormon is 15 books within the larger book. So one of the books, for instance, is the Book of Alma, A-L-M-A-H. The Book of Alma says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. Well, the Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. That's what the prophet Micah wrote of, and that's what the New Testament records. They both can't be right. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. So sometimes you can show them if you can find one point of doctrine and say, well, look, maybe if you're wrong on this point, justification, how a man is saved, you know, you say it's by belief and works where the Bible says it's grace alone. Maybe if you're wrong on this point, you could be wrong on another point. And so you can kind of knock them off kilter and God can use that. But look, even if they deny the Bible as being true, Don't ever forget that when you read scripture and you use scripture, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four, it's a a wonderful promise that you should lean on for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So there's power in God's word. There's a convicting aspect to it. A person sometimes will say to me, well, I'm not sure there's a God, or I'm not sure I believe the Bible is the word of God. And of course, I know right off they know there's a God because everyone believes in God. There are no atheists according to the scripture. And I know too, that if I read scripture, it is alive and it has a piercing effect. And so sometimes too, when you're dealing with people who are in cults, one approach that I actually learned from a Jehovah's witness uh, that was converted. And he shared it with me when I was a student in college. And he said, uh, one thing that's really helpful to do because the way they train us is as soon as you're talking, we're not really listening. We're only thinking about the memorized answer that we're supposed to throw back at you. And so he said, when you speak to these people, JWs, he was talking, but I've applied it to other cults. I'll say, well, look, I'll listen to you for 10 minutes without interrupting. I won't say anything. And we can even set the timer here on my watch or my cell phone. And if you'd like, then I'll, if you'll listen to me for 10 minutes, would you be agreeable to that? And that I really believe is something that God has used as I've spoken to some of these people who are in aberrant faith, so that is really no faith at all. And it gives the spirit of God an opportunity to convict them and to show them their need. So, uh, but start with prayer. It may be fasting if the Lord leads, but don't be discouraged. Don't despair. People are in cults usually for one of two reasons. They've either heard the truth and they've rejected it. And so they've believed a lie or many times the cults 
was the cult was the first one out there to try to reach them, and they were actually looking and thirsting and hungering, and the cult got them first when God's people should have been out there. Anyway, let's go to the next question. All right, we've got a live caller standing by. Thanks for holding. Sorry to have dropped you earlier, caller. Yes, Rick, this is Anthony. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Hi, Pastor. How are you doing this morning? Good, thank you, Anthony. Uh, question, Pastor. I'm listening to you, and you were talking about you know Mormons and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm trying to understand, you know, you have some of these people that have their Bible that's different, and they don't wrote a bunch of mess in it and change it up a lot. But you have Christian people. I'm talking about ministers of the gospel, not supposed to be pastors. They got the same Bible that we have. And a lot of them preach, they preach good until they get off. And why is it that they can't understand, when, especially when it comes to leadership in the church with men as pastors and elders and deacons and stuff like that? And why can't they see this? They can see everything about salvation and everything else. Great. But when it comes to this, they can't see it. But it, sometimes they won't. It seems like they don't want to listen to, uh, like you said, it's not until God, give me 10 minutes. You, I'll listen to you. You listen to me. Why won't they listen, give you an even chance to listen? And if God can change their, their heart toward him, why, why is this one thing so hard for some of them to do? Okay, and I'm, and I'm going to listen to you because I, I have relatives and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to sit back and listen to you. And one more thing before you go, one more, before you answer that for me, too, you know what? I was just about to go to Walmart every day. Uh-huh. You'd be surprised how many people do not go to church. Mm-hmm. And you invite them to church, and a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to be there this Sunday. You'll be there Sunday. But I'm just saying, tell the folks to be community Bible. All they got to do is open your mouth and say, come visit the community Bible. Go ahead and answer the question. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, um, you know, it is sad that sometimes, you know, a pastor may have the gospel— but he deviates in a particular area. And the genesis of that very often is a desire to like to be liked. And so, for instance, a pastor may have the plan of salvation, but there are women in the church who feel like they've been called to be pastors too. And rather than put up a fuss and do what's right and stand for the truth, the pastor says, okay, you know, you can preach on a Sunday morning, you can preach on a Sunday night, and we break the Word of God that is not to be broken. And that's really, really sad. Um, But very often, that's what it's rooted in. It's a desire to like to be liked. And if that's our attitude as a pastor, we're never really going to be successful in the ministry. Sometimes, you know, when you preach the truth, you, you, you make some enemies. I mean, that's just part of it. Jesus said, beware if all men speak well of you, for so they spoke of the false prophets who went before you. If everybody speaks well of me, then I know I'm doing something wrong. I've probably watered down the message, compromised what God has said to make people happy. And one of the big issues that is now entering into evangelicalism is the issues of complementarianism and egalitarianism. Egalitarianism teaches men and women are equal, not only in their status before God, but in their function before God. Complementarianism says men and women are equal, but they have different functions. So there are some things that men can do, and there are some things that women can do, and 
There are some things that men shouldn't do, and there are some things that women shouldn't do. But we don't want to teach that in our egalitarian culture. Now, another big issue that's coming to the church is the issue of homosexuality. So on one major evangelical website last weekend, actually on Saturday, they posted that a man could become ordained into the ministry if he had SSA, same-sex attraction. That that was okay as long as, you know, it was under control and he wasn't acting on it. But if he had same-sex attraction, that's okay to allow him ordination. I just think about that. I mean, how disconcerting must that be, you know, to the heart of God? How, How grieved he must be when his people do that. But why do they do that? Because they like to be liked. And if you like to be liked, then you will compromise the word of God and you will acquiesce to the ways of the world instead of to the standards of God's holy word. Now, very often and more often than not, the reason people do this is because they are lost. So, you know, when First Baptist Church of Greenville, one of the cooperative Baptist churches came out in favor of gay marriage and admitting homosexual couples into their membership. You know, what were they doing? What's going on? In my view, the pastors there are lost. You, you say there are pastors in the ministry who are lost. You better believe it. Paul says, uh, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So some people, they just can't comprehend it because they don't have the mind of Christ. And what they do have is Christian terminology, but not a regenerated mind. Remember in Matthew 7, when at the end of time, Jesus said, well, there will be people who say, well, we preached in your name. We we cast out a demon in your name. We did a miracle in your name. But Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. So there are people who can have outwardly and orthodoxy, and they appear to be right on. But on the other hand, they've never been born again. And sometimes there are pastors like this, and that's how the devil comes. He's very slick. And that's why they sometimes cannot really get a hold of some of these issues, because they've not been born again. But many times, they just like to be liked. You know, and there are some pastors in America who, stood, who are standing behind Donald Trump, To me, that's very, very grievous. Now, if he becomes my president, I will pray for him. But we had some choices that were far better. And when a man, you know, comes out and says he's neutral about Israel, when a man comes out and says that, you know, well, I I used to hold to partial birth abortion and gay marriage, but I no longer. And that same man says, I don't see the need to repent. And the way I make up for doing bad things is by replacing him with good things. Then you know you're talking to a lost man. And who knows where he's going to be next week. And when you have some born again people that we could have chosen, you know, who, who wants, you know, on the Democrat side, you got baby killers. Bonnie, I mean, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, they're both, they're both baby killers. They're in favor of the death of little babies. 
Who, what Christian could ever vote for them beyond me? So then you're, you're trying to find, you know, the best choice you can find. But again, people like to be liked sometimes, and they like the attention that a political leader will give them. And when that happens, it's very unfortunate because they end up acquiescing. All right, good question. Let's go to the next one. All right, 843-525-1859, toll-free, 877-924-7980. And a listener has observed that churches are bringing in more and more female bishops. This caller would like to know, how do they justify women bishops? Well, the term bishop, let's just define it, is the synonymous term with elder or presbyter. And so sometimes it's an issue of uh, translation. Uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, an overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife. So a lot depends on your translation. You could render it, the King James says, a bishop then must be. It's the same thing. And of course, then he will proceed to say, um, he equates this term overseer with elder. So very clearly the term elder, overseer, bishop, and when you add together Acts chapter 20 and First Peter 5, pastor, it's all referring to the same office. So how do they get to it? Well, again, they take some passages and they say, well, Deborah was obviously a pastor. No, she wasn't. Um, Moses' sister prophesied, so what? A woman could prophesy, just like a woman can read scripture in church today. Sometimes women were direct conduits of divine revelation, just like men were. That doesn't mean they were pastors in preaching and expounding the word of God. Oh, what about Philip's daughters? And look, it's important that you look at the whole package. And so I did a two-message sermon. They're both about an hour long. If you go to searchthescriptures.org, And I take you through every passage in the word of God that people use to justify women, pastors, bishops, elders, presbyters, whatever you want to call them. And there is no justification for it. And the sad thing is, is that when a woman takes the role of a man, things suffer. And if you have a woman who's a pastor, and if she really does what a pastor is supposed to do, then she's going to end up neglecting her children. And her most important disciples are her children. And no one can take the place of a mother, which is a full-time job, as is being a pastor. And so it's very sad when a woman steps into the pulpit and she takes on this kind of ministry and she neglects motherhood, a higher calling that God has given to her. And the church suffers and her children suffer. And if a lot of the women listening to me who follow some of these ladies that they love who travel the country's Bible teachers would just pull back the veneer and find out what their own kids are like. They'd say, well, maybe Pastor Carl is right on this. I didn't know their daughter was this or their son was that. And so it's, it's, it's very, very sad because the family suffers. Good question. Listen to those two messages, and I think you will get a very detailed answer, which I think would be worthy of your study. You can go to searchthescriptures.org. Click on 1 Timothy 2, and these sermons were preached uh, in the last six months. All right, Jeff from Port Wentworth uh, wants to know whether the use of WIC or food stamps is biblical. Well, it's a good question. You know, with 48 million Americans 
who I'm told are now on food stamps. And the number just keeps growing and deepening. Uh, You know, the Bible teaches that a man has a responsibility to provide for his family. That's not to say that we shouldn't be compassionate towards poor people because the poor, Jesus said, will always be with us. And so we are to be compassionate towards the poor. Uh, He that has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. But God is really focusing, if you look at a lot of the passages that deal with uh, poor people, he focuses largely on the responsibility of the individual, not the government, so to speak. Uh, Though in Israel, the nation had a responsibility, but most of the um, responsibilities that were given came down to uh, the individual application of what they did corporately. God said, for instance, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of any field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, neither shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. So God gave specific commands. When you go there and you harvest, and don't clean out every single grape. And when you harvest the wheat, leave the corners for the alien and the poor. Why? Because the poor will always be with you. In the church, it's interesting in Acts 4, it says, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices of those things that were sold. So there was a crisis that came in Acts 4 because tens of thousands of people were converted. Instead of going home, they stayed in Jerusalem to get grounded uh, in the promises that God had now fulfilled uh, through the coming of Messiah and the, in, in the fulfillment of Pentecost that was pictured in the Old Testament feast. So no one wanted to leave. They, they wanted to learn, and that was a good thing. But if you're on vacation and you're planning to go for two weeks and you end up staying six weeks, you're going to run out of money. But what did they do? They, they pulled their resources and they sold properties and they did whatever they could do to care for each other. And so we're to have compassion, uh, but we're also to recognize that true Christianity r- sees that there are some people who are poor because they choose to be poor. Uh, they take the counsel of wicked people. Um, some fall at the hands of wicked people who cheat them out. The book of James deals with that. But some, because they hang with wicked people, they become like them. And so it is important that, you know, we work hard. Paul said, a man shall not eat if he does not work. And so some people are just lazy and you feed the problem. Some people, hard times comes on them. Our church has a food pantry ministry and we service around 500 families a month. We try to win those people to Christ. We try to share the gospel with them. We give them a DVD. Would you like to have God as your friend? Uh, We um, invite people to church, and some people have come through our food pantry to meet the pastor. They found Christ, have baptized them, and now, you know, things have totally turned around. So sometimes God lets the bottom fall out because um, it's the only way he can get our attention. Some people are poor because they have a desire to be rich. That's what Proverbs 28 says. The person who hastens to be rich has an evil eye, and he'll have poverty that will come upon him. Uh, Proverbs also talks about the sluggard, you know, the person who loves sleep, who um, doesn't open his eyes. 
will come to poverty and his you know body won't be satisfied with bread. Why? Because he's lazy. So, you know, when you help people, you got to be discerning. And I think our government needs to be discerning. And so there's nothing bad with a government reflecting biblical values, but it starts with the church. And if the government does it, they need to be discerning because they can feed a problem. Look, if people are on welfare, why not get them to work? If a person's on welfare, why not say, well, look, 10 hours a week, uh, if we're going to give you a check, this is what we want you to do. And you can use the other 30 hours looking for a job. I mean, that's just wisdom. You don't feed people who are not willing to work. So is it a sin to be on food stamps? Well, it might be. And, you know, you, you talk to different people. And some people who talk about, I, I think the title is SNAP. I, I, I forgot what it specifically stood for, but they don't call it food stamps. But um, in either case, um, the SNAP program some people would say, well, you know, why, why are we helping these people? They're, they're just, you know, eating my tax dollars away and I'm being charged more. Well, because we're a compassionate people and we care about people and we love people. And yet, on the other hand, sometimes our love has no boundaries, just like an, an earlier caller today about these parents who are basically fostering the habit of their 38-year-old drunken son rather than helping him to wake up and be responsible. What you see on a small level, we're seeing now on a national level. And we're reaching a point that it's going to be unsustainable. We're $19 trillion in debt. And the new budget that has been passed is going to put us over the 2021 mark probably before this year is ended or early 2017. That, that We're reaching an unsustainable point. Our own government accounting offices, which is nonpartisan, says in anywhere from 12 to 13 years, we're going to reach a point where we're going to have no money left to pay for anything except entitlements, which would be Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and um, interest on the debt. But there'll be no money left for infrastructure, military. I mean, what's going to happen? That thing's going to break. It's all going to fall apart. So we need to wake up, and there's a lot of people on food stamps who shouldn't be. And if I had to have three jobs as a man, I would do that if that's what it took to feed my family. I would do whatever I could. I'd be a part of a Bible-believing church where I would also have the compassion and help of God's people. Well, we're out of time. Several questions we never got to, but God willing, there's always another week. This Saturday at Community Bible Church, we have our extravaganza. Uh, We have pony rides and games and a gospel tent for the kids to hear about the true meaning of Christmas. Excuse me, of Easter. (laughs) And so you don't want to miss that. You can go to communitybiblechurch.us. If you don't have a church to attend, I invite you to either our Bluffton, Hilton Head campus, Graniteville, South Carolina. We have a campus there now. Or here in Buford at 638 Paris Island Gateway. Go to communitybiblechurch.us for service times and locations. I hope you have a great day as you walk with Jesus Christ. 